Welcome to Passion Life Church. We are continuing a series that we started on Easter Sunday called The Cross Equals Love. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 14. You know, what an incredible Easter Sunday we had. What an incredible Resurrection Sunday we had. You know, we had uh, over 500 people in attendance in two services. It was absolutely amazing. We had about 50 salvations. Can we give the Lord a great round of applause for, for that? And just really quick, a very special thank you to everybody who served and everybody who gave, everybody who, who showed up. Can we give them a great round of applause? Because they, they spent a lot of, of, of their time coming in and serving. It was, it was amazing. You know, this month we, we choose to focus on the cross equals love. And, uh, you know, last week we celebrated the resurrection. And every year we pray that you don't just celebrate the resurrection, but that you would actually experience a resurrection in your life. Last week, something just came alive in me to be able to see 500 people come together and worship the Lord, people giving their lives. I don't know. Faith was stirred up. I was just so excited about what God was doing. But I just want to let you know, it's our prayer that you don't just celebrate this resurrection, but you experience it. But I want to tell you today, I believe that God has more for your life. How many of you believe God has more? Because I believe after we celebrate, after we experience the resurrection, here's what I want to talk about. God wants to establish us. God wants to make sure that we are established. He wants to make sure that after this great week that we had focusing on his resurrection, that we actually take that into our week and we walk confidently in the life that he gave us. Can I tell you what God doesn't want us to do? God doesn't want us to just attend an Easter service and then go back to our day-to-day -day and live like the cross never happened. How, you say, Pastor Phil, how can that happen? Oh, it can happen because guess what? After Sunday, you go back into, it's easy to go back into the same old routine. Watch, it's easy to look at circumstances and the circumstances just seem the same. It's, it's easy to have thoughts of victory on Sunday, but then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, those thoughts begin to just fade away. It is possible, my church family, to get into a mindset that you forget that the cross even existed. And then what happens is the enemy, at the perfect time, he starts to remind you about your past again. He reminds, starts to remind you about things you've done. And then what happens is condemnation starts to set in. And that's where I want to stop the enemy today. And I want to talk about conquering condemnation today. That's what I want to talk about. Because God desires that you and I conquer condemnation and be established in righteousness. Have you found Isaiah 54 verse 14? It says this, in righteousness. Come on, say that with me today. Say in righteousness. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear from terror, for it shall not come near you. You know, I think one of the biggest tactics that the enemy uses in our life is to try to condemn us. That's why I want to talk about conquering 
condemnation. You know, last week we read from Isaiah as well. Isaiah was an amazing prophet because he foretold of Jesus's going, Jesus' death, his burial. He, he specifically in detail talk about what Jesus would do. And it's amazing to me when I talk to people who don't believe in the Bible and we start talking about these conversations and I say, well, how could a guy like Isaiah predict 700 years before Jesus existed exactly how Jesus would die to the point saying that he would be scourged and that by his stripes we would be healed. He foretold and foresaw what Jesus would do. But as I read that this week, I went back over it and looked at Isaiah's writing. I was so blessed because it reminded me of one thing. God knows exactly what mankind needs. Let me make it more personal. God knows exactly what you need. Come on, turn to your neighbor real quick and say, God knows exactly what you need. All right, are you ready for this one? Look at me. God knows what you need even before you knew that you needed it. What do I mean? He knew that in this fallen world, you and I would need a savior. So he gave his son. He knew that in this fallen world, that there would be sickness, there would be cancer, there would be diseases. So you know what he did? He bled and his body was bruised and broken so you and I could have healing. But he also knew that in this world there would be turbulent times. And here's what he knew we would need. In turbulent times, we would need stability. We would need, as children of God, stability from him. So God says this. Listen, this is his desire for you. He says, I want to establish you. I want to establish my people in righteousness. This isn't even a prayer from us going, God, would you please establish me in righteousness? Please, pretty, please, with the cherry on top. We can pray those prayers, but I want you to understand that this was God's idea to establish you in righteousness. It all came from him. And so he says, I want to establish you in righteousness. And you know me, I have to look up these words. And the Hebrew righteousness means the conditional, the condition that's acceptable to God. Listen, simply put, it's right standing with God. I want to be simple today and I want to be methodical today because I think it's so important because we need to hear this. You can have right standing with God because God wants you to. I want you to notice I didn't say he needs you to. God doesn't need anything. You are in his kingdom because he wanted you. He chooses to love you because he wanted you. God doesn't fall off the throne when you stop loving him. Right? Let's just be honest. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to demean anybody today, but God doesn't have to pour out his love. God didn't have to send his son. My church family, it shows the extent of his love that he wanted to do this for you. Let me say it this way. He was willing and wanting. He wants you to be established. Everybody say that word established. This is an interesting word because this word in the Hebrew means stable. Somebody say stable. Have you ever had friends that are unstable? Have you ever dated somebody who's unstable? They're not here today, so that we can say something. Come on, somebody. We love them. We bless them. But they're just not here today. Because even in relationships, we're looking for stability. The word established means stability. Watch. It means stable, to be fixed, to be secure. I still don't understand how I talk with so many Christians. Well, Pastor Phil, you just don't understand. I'm just so insecure. Well, good. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're watching today because God wants to establish you and make your life secure. It's security. It's fixed to be secure. Watch this. To be enduring, securely settled. So many people are unsettled. 
chill, man. We used to say in the 80s, take a chill pill and suck on it forever. God wants you settled. Everybody say, say settled. I think that's why it's hard for some people even to come to church to sit down for like 20, 45 minutes. It's like, what's going on? What do we got? Man, that's not peace. God wants us settled. And here's what happens. When you are established in righteousness, it gives a stability to your life. Anybody else like stable people? Come on, let me see your hand. You like stable people? You got to raise your hand because if you don't raise your hand, I'm thinking you're not stable. Come on, how many of you like stable people? Let me see your hand. We love stable people, right? I remember as a young person, oh, I crave stability. When I was doing this message, I was talking to my mom because I had a crazy life. Like, I had a crazy life. I love that you come here and you look and like, oh, Pastor Phil, you know, God is blessing you. He's so awesome. And look at the glow around your head. It's not the glow around my head. It's the lights. I had a, a, an unstable life. I was talking to my mom and I was like, okay, I need to talk to my mom because we lived in so many places I can't even count. I've lived in six different cities, three different states, two different countries, four different high schools that I went to. We lived, I lived in 17 different houses. 17 different houses. Oh, to be established though. Because my parents went through a divorce, because there were some things that happened in my own life. And I'll tell you what, man, I was just unstable with all of the things. So this, when I read about how God wants me to be established and he wants to establish me in righteousness, that really resonates with me because I need stability in my life. I need, when everybody walks out, I need a God who's stable. Come on, somebody. When other people are unsettled, I need a God who's settled. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you like hanging out with the cray-crays. But you know that scripture, you hang out with the cray-cray, you become cray. That's not what it says. It says hang out with the wise and you become wise. But I want to show you today why the enemy wants to rob you of stability. I want to show you today why he tries to use condemnation so much in our lives. Because look what happens when we're stable. So when someone, the Bible says, Isaiah 54, 14, when someone believes that they are established, say that word again, established. It says this, watch, in righteousness you shall be established. Look at the benefits. And you shall be far from oppression. Established person, the Bible says, is far from oppression. Listen to what this word oppression means. I think it's interesting. I want to focus on the word press, pressure, in oppression. Because it's a pressure. But watch this. Oppression is this. In the Hebrew, it means an attempt to defraud you. This is what the root word means. The result of extortion. So fraud can happen in your life. When a person believes a lie, but let me tell you a little, let me, let me relate it to what we're talking about. What Jesus did on the cross is not enough for you. That's the little lie that you know what? Yeah, he did it. Great resurrection Sunday. You're forgiven victory, victory, victory. Oh, but Wednesday, look what you did. And Jesus didn't cover that. And then the word is extortion. You know what extortion is? Extortion is when someone obtains something from you by threats. It's not enough for you. Jesus doesn't love you. They're threats. And then when we believe a lie, then we walk into deception. And guess what? Then you're not stable anymore. This builds instability. 
And then he says this, a person that is established in righteousness, it says this, there's no fear. There's no fear. This word fear means dreadful. You know what dreadful means? Dreadful means that I'm actually expecting the worst to happen. I'm expecting, I'm drawing to myself, I'm expecting the worst to happen. I'm dreadful. But a person who is established in righteousness, they don't have to worry about oppression. They don't have to worry about fear because they are settled. Can I hear a good amen today? And so what happens when you don't have fear, the Bible says you are bold. I love this scripture. Proverbs 28, one says this, the righteous are as bold as a lion. They don't say that the righteous are insecure. They said the righteous are bold as a lion. Everybody say bold, please. Listen, I, I think, I think we're not seeing a bunch of bold Christians today. We're not seeing a bunch of bold Christians today. And I think, can I tell you why? This is my personal opinion, and I have the microphone, so I get to give it to you. And I'll tell you when it's my personal opinion. I'll tell you when it's not, it's not the Bible. I'll tell you when it's my personal opinion. This is my personal opinion, why we're not seeing more bold uh, Christians. You know why? Because we don't understand humility and boldness. We think that humility and boldness don't go together, when actually humility is the foundation for boldness. The Bible says this, it says that the Bible says this, it says that in my weakness, he is made strong. So in my humility of saying I messed up, there's strength there. That's why the Bible uses the word meekness. Meekness is controlled strength, right? So for me, I always had the picture that Christians were weak people. And I didn't really see a lot of of strong Christians except for my mom. Come on, let's give it up for our mamas, man, who prayed, who were up at night right? And they were praying, walking the carpet, right? My mom prayed so much she had to buy knee pads. Come on, somebody, because she went to war for us. She was bold. But I was a young, strong man. I played football. I didn't see any bold examples at that time. Everybody was like, okay, I love Jesus. Well, good. I did not want to be turned into Mr. Rogers, But then when you start reading about David and you start reading about the men who were worshipers and warriors at the same time, who David, who would take a slingshot and kill a giant. And I love it. He would kill a giant with his own sword, take out his sword and chop his head off. I'm like, Ooh, I like that. That's bold. But you know what? David chopping off Goliath's head doesn't mean that David wasn't humble. It means that he knew who he was in God. And he knew who he was. And see, I think sometimes we think in humility that, oh, if I'm actually confident in what God is saying, that I'm, you know, I'm not being humble. No, you're actually being obedient. Because the Bible says that there's confidence that comes into your life. It says this is the confidence that we have, that even when we approach him, when we talk and we ask things that we can have according to his will, that we can approach him with confidence. Everybody say confidence. And see, condemnation is attacking your confidence. I love what Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says this. It says, let us come. What's that word? See, 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 let us come boldly, boldly with a question mark, boldly with a question mark. Is there a question mark there? Come on. He says, come what? Come on, Passion Life Church. Come on. He says, come what? 
He says he comes boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in your help in your time of need. So even when we approach him, God says, I want you to come boldly, not begging boldly. Can I hear a good amen today? But what happens is when a person is not established in righteousness, if being established means you're stable, then when you're not established, it means you're unstable. Do you know if you're unstable, all I have to do is touch your shoulder like that and you'll fall over? If you're unstable. That's where a lot of people are today, even in the word. Even though God says, I want to establish you in righteousness, people are like, man, I don't know where I stand with God. And I'm I'm not talking about people who just got saved this Easter. I'm talking about people who've been in the word for 10 years are still doubting whether, man, am I still going to heaven? Am I, listen, my church family, it is God's desire that you be stable, that you be secure, not insecure, that when you approach God, you approach him boldly as your father, as a child would approach his father. The only time my son will ever approach me in a weird way is when something's going on. But even I told him this, I said, if you ever mess up, anyone ever tries to defraud you or blackmail you, you better run to my arms because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you. I'll correct you later, but I'm going to help you first. Right? Because sometimes the response makes it worse. And sometimes the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, we get and we start making decisions that we shouldn't make. I said, you need to come to me boldly, even when you mess up. Just like this scripture. Why? Because I'm going to help you. Because nobody can help you like your heavenly father. Right? Do you remember when Peter walked on the water? He got out on the boat, right? He got out of the boat and he started walking on the water and he started to drown, right? He, the Bible says he began to drown, but then he said, Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus reached out his hand. So Peter was almost there. He almost made it. Do you know how Jesus did? How did Jesus respond? How did he respond? Did he say, Peter? Oh, ye of little faith. Peter's like, I'm drowning. Yeah, but I need to, this is a a good teaching moment for you, Peter. You know what Jesus did? He restored him, then he corrected him. Oh, that was, that was better than what, that was, that deserves a better response. I'm just telling you. He restored him, then he said, you could have made it. Oh, you have little faith. He didn't let Peter drown and say, I'm going to teach you a lesson, Peter. He restored him, then he encouraged him. And we've got to become boldly to the throne room of grace. Your answer is in the throne room of grace. I said this on Easter. Can I be honest with you? Because Easter's past. Sometimes I say things and I even amaze myself. Sometimes I'm listening to my own messages and I'm saying, that was not in my notes. That had to be the Lord. I'm like, thank you, God. And I'm just reminded how the Bible said he will use the foolish things to confound the wise. But this is what I said on Easter. I said, God is not your problem. He's your solution. And isn't it amazing? We run from the solution, and then that's when we get into more problems. And God wants us to run to him. And if you will, oh, he'll, he'll transform your life. But the enemy knows that. So he's going to use condemnation. And he's going to try to make you think 
that you are what you do. And he wants you to start to live like the cross never happened. That's why in Romans chapter eight, verse one, he says this, there is now, everybody say now, now. So watch this just real quick. I'm going to give you a really dumb illustration. I'm just, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but I think this will help you, right? Watch. Now is now. Right now. See now? Now wasn't two, two seconds. It's right now. There's another now moment coming. Hold on. Now. But I just messed up four seconds ago. I know, but it's not now. But it's not now, 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 right now, right here, right now. There is therefore now no condemnation to those, right, who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and because you belong to him, the power of the living spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So condemnation is not coming from Jesus, because he said, I did not come into this world to condemn the world, right? I came into this world to save the world. How many of you know that Jesus's name, Jesus means savior, not the great condemner. His name is not Jesus, the great judge. His name is Jesus, the savior. So I like to give a couple of steps because I think it's important because we have the smart people here come and they take notes. Have you noticed that? The people, I see them walk in, the the real intelligent, wise people, they come in with notes and they're like, I'm going to take some notes. I want to get something out of this. So for them, I, I... I I do this. So maybe sometime you're talking to a friend and they're going through what we're going through and you can pull up your note. I had people say, Phil, I was talking to my friend and we were, they were talking about what you talked about two weeks ago. And I went to my notes and I preached them the exact message that you preached. And guess what? Not only did it help me, but it helped them. So these are for the people that are taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. Here's how we conquer condemnation. Number one, we have to realize that Jesus became so you can become. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says this, God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake. So that through him, everybody say through him, we could become the righteousness of God. Now, listen, Jesus did not just take on the sin of the world. He became sin. A man who never knew what it was like to even say a white lie. I don't even know. Is there a white lie? Is there such a thing as a white lie and a black lie? That's racist. (laughs) White lie, black lie. Is there a Mexican lie? We come up with these things. Jesus, who never knew what it was like to have any sin, became sin. Now, listen, all the sin that the world, with the billions of people from the eons of time, would ever commit, he became. And he became that so you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
Now, this is important to overcome condemnation. God has to condemn sin or he would be unrighteous, right? But how many of you know God did condemn sin when Jesus went to the cross? So Jesus, he took your condemnation on the cross. Why? So you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to live with condemnation, just like you don't have to have sin reign over you because Jesus defeated sin on the cross. Jesus took your condemnation, my condemnation for the sins that I have committed, for the sins that I would ever commit. I always say Jesus died for your past, present, and future sins. How can you say future sins, Pastor Phil? Because you weren't even born when Jesus died on the cross. So from the time you were born to him, it's all future. But every sin has been taken care of. Now, how do you receive that? You receive that by faith and saying, Jesus, you make me righteous. Watch. I don't make myself righteous. I can't make myself righteous. I can't buy it. I can't do enough works. But here, this is so important. Jesus made me righteous. So when those thoughts of condemnation comes, you have to remind the enemy. I talk to the devil when he, because he'll talk to me. And he'll say, I, I remember Easter week. It, I'm so excited. Three days before Easter, the enemy's trying to remind me what I did in high school. I'm like, you got to go back that far? And he reminded me, of, I mean, he brought it up, but I just reminded him, no way, Jose. Listen, I'm not going to feel condemnation today because Jesus took my condemnation on the cross and I am forgiven. And actuality, when you bring that up, I've already forgotten because that's what the Bible says in the New Testament, that Jesus remembers our sins no more. Now we keep reminding him because we keep talking about it. But he, every time you're like, you know, I did this, Jesus, he's like, what? Because the Bible says that he separates our sins from the east as far as the east is from the west. But in the New Testament, he says this, I remember your sins no more. Quit reminding God of your sins. It's already taken care of. Now, I like this because I'm kicking some religious cows over. Because here's the argument. Pastor Phil, if you start talking like this, you are giving people a license to sin. Okay, let me just tell you, number one, people don't need a license to sin. They're doing it all by themselves. The people that want a license to sin, my church family, they're not here. They're hungover at home. So let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. When you understand that there is no condemnation, what we're going to find out, when you understand what God says, you actually reign over sin. Sin does not reign over you because the tactic of the enemy is to use condemnation as a hook to bring you back to who you used to be. Because the reason why we go back is because we say or we think that our past wasn't taken care of, that Jesus and what he did wasn't enough. And so then we live like the cross like the cross didn't have enough power to do what Jesus said it would do. And then we become defrauded, oppressed, and fearful. And my church family, I'm just telling you, when you understand that you are established, you will live a different life. Can I tell you what kind of life you'll lead? 
When you understand what Jesus did, you will live a life that's worthy of his death. That's always my prayer. When I think about doing things, I'm like, God, you gave me so much. I want to live a life that's worthy of your sacrifice. I want to live a life. I want Jesus to say, I'm glad I died because, man, Phil gets it. Phil's living a life. He received my righteousness. Look, he's stable. He's, he's settled. He's doing what I wanted him to do. Jesus became so we can become. But when you start living in your own righteousness, that's when condemnation starts to set in. My own righteousness is not going to establish me, my church family, but it's his righteousness that establishes me. I love what, what the message Bible says about second Corinthians five twenty one. It says this, God put the wrong on him. Who's the him? Jesus. God put the wrong on Jesus who never did anything wrong. So you and I could be right with God. I want to say that again. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so you and I could be right with God. Anybody grateful for that today? Amen. Come on, say I'm righteous. Here's number two. But this you have to receive God's gifts by faith. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. For it is by one man's offense that death reigned through one much, listen, listen to these words, but much more those who receive, everybody say receive, receive is taking in, taking in. This is, this is, this is all that God requires. Faith is that that's what faith is. Faith is a taker. I'm taking it in. I'm taking it in. He says this, but those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me? It would make you probably feel better to give a righteous gift to a righteous person. But God gives his righteousness to people who are unrighteous to make them righteous. And here's what he says. Here's what I need you to do. I just need you to receive it. Now, it's easier said than done. I want to talk to you just for a moment. Some people won't receive this because, number one, they feel like they've really done nothing wrong. When the Bible says all have sinned, all have fought, we've all fallen short. Other people won't receive this, again, because they think that what they did is greater than what Jesus did on the cross. My church family, you know what that is? That is pride. That says, listen, what I did is greater than what Jesus did on the cross. Pride is the root of all sin. And all Jesus is saying is that if you'll just receive the abundance of grace. Grace, when you look in the New Testament, the word grace starts off with this, a gift, a benefit. God gives us a benefit. People who are undeserving, people who... Um, undeserving, uh, I don't know, any other words you want to add in there, he gives you a benefit. And he says, all I need you to do is receive it. That's my grace to you. That's my grace. And then he says this, they will reign in life. Watch this. The gift of righteousness, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Look at me, my church family. You don't hear this talked about in a lot of churches. God wants you and I to reign in life, not be beggars, reign in life, reign 
over the things that are coming against you. Reign in life. These are God's people. You can't reign in life if you're insecure. You can't reign in life if you're unstable. But thank God today, we are learning that God wants to establish us in his righteousness so you can reign in life. And the stuff that you thought first you were controlling, then it started to control you. Now you understand that through righteousness and God's grace, you can reign over those things. Can I hear a good amen today? I started, when I started thinking about receiving the gifts of uh, all God's gifts by faith, I started going, how many gifts are there? Can you think about them? How many gifts did God give you? He gave you the gift of salvation. He gave you the gift of life. He gave you the gift of mercy. He gave you the, the gift of righteousness. He gave you his love. I, I could go on and on. And my church family, here's the reality. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. The only thing you can do is receive it. Just receive it. Just receive it. I want to tell you something I learned about God's grace because I'm still studying it. Here's the key about God's grace. God will always make a deposit before he makes a withdrawal in your life. God will deposit his very life in you when you receive Jesus. It's the Zoe life. Then he will say, that's the deposit. Then he will say, listen, he will say, live for me. God will deposit his love into you. And then he will say, love your enemies. That's the withdrawal. God will deposit and lavish your life with forgiveness. Everything we just talked about. And then he will make the withdrawal and say, forgive others. You cannot give what you do not have can't. So under grace, God gives you what you need. And then he will say, this will empower you to love others. This will empower you to live for me. This will empower you. Let me give you an example. There's a woman in the Bible who was caught in the act of adultery. I'm not going to go into it too much because there's children in here, but she was caught in the act. Everybody understand that? She was caught in that. They bring her before Jesus to try to trap him because the law says that they should stone her. And here's what Jesus says, right? He gets down in the sand, he writes a line, and then he says, those of you that have no sin, you can throw the first stone. And it's amazing to me that the people with sin wanted to throw a stone. So let me just, before we move forward, be careful who you want to throw stones at. Because the people that were sinful all there wanted to throw stones. And how do I know they were sinful? Because Jesus said, those of you who have no sin, right? Throw the first stone. They all started dropping stones. But I know, I want you to, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to give you a point. Jesus didn't pick up a stone and stone her. He could have. So the one that could have thrown a stone didn't throw a stone. The ones that shouldn't have thrown a stone wanted to throw a stone. But here's my point. He looks at her, the woman caught in the act of sin, and he says this, where are your accusers? She looks back and she says, nowhere, my Lord. Listen to Jesus' words. This is so important. This is what Jesus says, John 8, 11. He says, she sa Jesus says this, then neither do I condemn you. Here's the deposit. 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the withdrawal. Watch. Here's how it's been preached. If you will go and sin no more, God will give you the gift of condemnation. God doesn't do that. Here's what he does. He gives you the gift of no condemnation first, and that empowers you to go sin no more. Those are Jesus's very words. If you understood that there's no condemnation in your life, you would live a different life. I actually believe I was praying through this. I still think some of us in this room and some of us watching online today, there's reasons why you're sick and you're not receiving your healing. And I wonder if there's little roots of condemnation there that you think, oh, I I don't know. Jesus couldn't do it for me. I, I had this thought. I had this. Can I just encourage you? Every single person that Jesus healed while he was on the earth all of them were sinners. What got them their healing? It was their faith, not their works. Come on, somebody. And we need to uproot that root of condemnation. And Jesus says to you, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now go and sin no more. See, some of us fall back because we still feel like, why move forward? I've already done this. Why not do it again? Well, to God's account, God has erased your past and it's covered with the blood of Jesus. You are clean. We are justified. You know what justified means? Just if I had never done it, we're free. What would your life look like if you walked in this truth? You know what? You would reign in life. Romans 5, 17, those who receive take in the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Let's make no mistake, my church family, it's through him we can reign in life. Are you glad you came to church today? I'm going to close, but I want to say this because it needs to be said. God wants you to reign in life. God does not want sin to reign over you. Listen, I know this is warped what I'm about to say, but I talk to a lot of people. God is not trying to use that sin to teach you certain things. He wants you to reign in life. Here's the last one for today. This is how we conquer condemnation. Jesus made it so. Here's number three. The gift is greater than the offense. The gift God gave you is greater than the offense. Watch Romans chapter five, verse 15, but the free gift, what did it cost you? What did it cost Jesus? Everything. It's free. Yeah. It cost him everything because he loved you. Watch, but the free gift is not like the offense. It's not even equal to it. For if by one man's offense, many died, watch this, much more, much more, much more. The grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Watch this. And the gift is not like that which came through one who sinned. It is much more. Here's where we get into trouble. We get into trouble when we think our offense is greater than the gift. And you better stop that. That's all in your mind. Every single one of us can think that we're the exception. 
You don't know what I did, Pastor Phil. I know, I don't, but I know the great gift and the gift is greater than your offense. If you understand that truth, you will live in righteousness. You will be established in righteousness. Can I give you one more key here? This is why Romans chapter one, verse 17 says this as we close. The just shall live by their works. By their what? Faith. So listen, if I focus on my failures, I'm not going to live by faith. But if I focus on building my faith, which you are doing today, you will move past your failures into your future. The way that this reads in the Greek is the just by their faith shall live. When you get a hold of this and you start to realize that you are justified by your faith, well, it only makes sense. If I build my faith, I'm going to live more justly. Right? But here's what we're consumed with. We're consumed with our behavior. Don't get me wrong. Faith has an action. That's important. But if you, my church family, will believe right, you will live right. If you walk out of here saying there is no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus, I am established. And guess what? You're going to start living established. You're going to start making established decisions. Because if you'll believe right, you'll live right. The just shall live by faith. So watch this. Build your life on what's right with God and not what's wrong with you. I'm going to say that again. Build your life on what's right with God, not what's wrong with you. This has changed my life. I have been so self-consumed with every failure, every mistake. And there's a part of that religious mindset that you go, I want to please God. What pleases God is your faith, not you thinking about how many times you've failed. This is for me too, my church family. And here's what I want. I want to challenge you in this next just month, build your faith and watch. You'll live beyond your failures. What'll start to happen is you won't even remember your failures because like the Bible says, the future that God has for you has such a hope and an expectation. But see, what we do is we think that our past is a prophecy of what our future should be. Your past is not your prison. Your past is not your prophecy. Your future is bright because you are gonna be established in righteousness and you are gonna live free from condemnation. Let me close with this last scripture. To those who struggle with this today, who say, it's good, Pastor Phil, but I'm the exception. Romans 3.12, Romans 3.22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. Listen. You reading that? What does it say? To what? To all to all, to all who believe. So what is the criteria that you believe? It's so hard to believe. No, it's not. 
you've believed in a lot of dumb things in your life. Let me go through your house and watch, and let me go through your garage and see how many things you bought because you believe that they, what the commercial said. I, I want to know. Come on, you believed. But how many of us can believe that Jesus' word is true? Come on, somebody. We hear a good amen today. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.